Hey, nonfiction branders, this is DP. I wanted to introduce this very special episode with Don Stanley. He's a buddy of mine that I asked to come in and ask me questions about my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand, Discover, Craft, and Communicate the Completely True, Completely You brand you already are. So let's join the conversation already in progress. So I'm really excited and happy that you've completed the book because one of the things that I really like about the work that you do, whether it's the presentations, the writings, the podcasts, the live streams, is that you do a great job of not only synthesizing your years of experience, but really being able to tap into people because you made some phenomenal connections with thought leaders who are well-known worldwide, as well as thought leaders who aren't that well-known yet, which... I think is one of the mistakes a lot of people make is they forget to not tap into other people who are emerging and building those new connections. And you've done a phenomenal job at that. And then to be able to synthesize what they're saying, what they're learning, what they're seeing, because to be able to pay attention to it all by yourself is not possible. And I think that's one of the strengths and one of the things I'm really excited about your book, whether somebody is very seasoned with social and, and understands what the playing field has been to this point and has experience or is brand new the tips, the tactics, the insights, I think are are really going to be extremely valuable to anybody who taps into this book to be able to make themselves more effective at what they do in every way and feel good about what they're doing too, which I think is a key component to long-term work satisfaction as well. So I'm, I'm stoked for you and I'm stoked for anybody who reads the book. Well, thank you, Don. The funny thing is my wife and I, kind of a Sunday morning thing we always do is watch CBS Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. It started because my wife is just, I don't know, she, she just loves the kind of mix of happy stories, a little bit of news, but on a lighter tone. And they had this interesting story with Norman Lear, the great Hollywood producer. You know, he's probably best known as the producer and creator of All in the Family back in the day, the TV sitcom that really broke the mold on what sitcoms could talk about. And in it, he had this quote, that he learned very, very early on that informs his entire life. And he said it, and I just went, that's exactly right. The quote paraphrased, because I haven't had a chance to look it up, is something along the lines of, every person is my superior. I can always learn something from everyone or something like that. And, and I love that idea. And it's frankly one of the things that I brought into the book was that every person is my superior in what they do or how they do it, or they have something to teach me. And you mentioned the fact that, yes, I've got some well-known thought leaders that I talk about in the book, but the ones that I'm most proud of are the lesser known thought leaders who don't even consider themselves to be thought leaders. You know, they haven't dared take that title onto themselves. And yet, just by learning who they are, what they do and how they do it, I've recognized, and by the way, you don't get to call yourself a thought leader, Other people get to call you a thought leader. Well, I'm calling these people thought leaders because they led me toward a thought or a process or a system that really allowed me to level up my game. And again, they don't have to be world known or worldwide known. They just have to be someone that I can look to that I can then share their story And by the time I've shared their story, you're going to think of them as a thought leader, which it sounds like you already did. Absolutely. And that's and that's one of the great things about social is that, you know, there's always chances for you to make connections. When I teach my classes at the UW, I say, you know, you have your A-listers, which are awesome to connect with. But where you're going to find your value for yourself personally, for personal growth and professional growth is in what you'd classify as like the Hollywood B-listers and C-listers. 
because they're similar to you and similar shared experiences and they're more accessible. And that's where most of us are. And there is a ton of richness in those arenas uh, of making those connections. And I say, I tell my students a lot of times, you know, yeah, it's great to make connections with big thought leaders, but don't ever underestimate the value of making connections with people who are not yet quote unquote known or who don't want to be known. They just want to, they just want to be in their little arena, their little circle, doing good things and helping people out and being successful at whatever they deem success at. And that's what I really like about the book is there's this great combination. And that was, that's one of my questions is, is going to be how you chose the people, how you found some of those people, because it's this great mix of known and slash unknown. And the one thing that I will always qualify is that everybody at one point was unknown. I remember meeting Mark Schaefer, who is very well known in the digital marketing arena in like 2010, because he was on Twitter and I was on Twitter and he was teaching at a small community college outside of Knoxville, Tennessee. And he wrote a book that was just nothing more than his notes condensed for his students called the Tao of Twitter. And not many people knew who he was. Well, now they do, you know, and that's yeah. the cool thing too, is you can grow together. And as your audiences scale and grow um, by tapping into people uh, on all different levels, it, it, it's just really cool. And that's, again, what I, when people read the book, one of the things I think they should take away from that is looking at those people who are, again, are known because they're great people. You've have some I, I know a lot of the people in your book and they're very quality human beings as well as being really good at digital, but that the people who aren't as well known, I, you know, they, they follow that same pattern. They're great people who have great knowledge. So that's what I'm excited about is sometimes you get the regurgitation probably isn't the right word, but you get the retreading of the same experts and not that that's bad, but you know, things change and there's always new perspectives. And, and I think you did a really nice job identifying some folks who bring a really interesting, accessible, I can see myself as that person perspective. Again, that, that's going to be one of my questions for you is how you found some of these cool people, especially the people like from Australia and all that who have cool accents because we have yeah. Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. That's part of it. And frankly, one of the reasons I reached out to friends of mine or acquaintances that I've been able to meet from Australia and New Zealand and other nations around the world is because we Americans love our bubbles. We love to talk back and forth the same conventional wisdom over and over again. And I find that tedious, boring, and duplicative or re redundant. And the last thing I wanted to do is just churn out another book about conventional wisdom regarding branding and social media and personal branding, etc. So instead, what I did was, number one, I have this tremendous resource available to me, which is called this, the nonfiction brand podcast, and many, but not all the people I talk about in this book have been on the podcast. And guess what? They've said some incredible stuff and taught me incredible things on the podcast. And I can take that transcription of what they said in their words, in their voice, in their style, with their personality, and I can fold that into the book. So that's one of the things I wanted to do from the very beginning. I wanted to leverage all the wisdom that's been spouted in this podcast and put it in a different form for people who may not be podcast listeners or may have never heard of the nonfiction brand podcast. And by the way, this is smart marketing. If you want to leverage your podcast to sell your book, which then leverages the book to sell your podcast, that's good, you know, a circular marketing, if you will. It's, um, and it's a smart technique it's a little bit um, mercenary, perhaps, but I don't think ultimately it is because what it is is saying, 
I'm telling you in the book, this person has really valuable stuff to say and share. Mm -hmm. Follow them online, follow them on social, connect with them on LinkedIn, but also check out their episodes. And by the way, all those episodes are actually cited in the book. So you don't have to waste your time going through 125 episodes to find them. You can go to episode 56 and, and hear from whoever. And yeah. one of the things I did was, put it this way, one of the, the big things about doing social media is you prove and demonstrate who you are, what you do, and how you do it every single post you do. Every person that I have curated their stories to be in this book are an indication of my ability to curate. Mm -hmm. Whether I have a good ear, a good eye, a good brain, and I can pull out interesting stuff from these people. And just because they're in this book does not mean that I endorse 100% of what they're doing professionally. Mm -hmm. But I'm pointing to one thing that they're doing with excellence that just impresses the bejesus out of me. Yeah. Let me give you an example of that. Jay Bear, who is kind of a top tier yes. thought leader in the social media, marketing, leadership, entrepreneurial space. He's a fantastic follow and a great writer. And I would recommend him all day long. The only thing I wrote about him was not anything I just said. I'm talking about how he packages himself visually mm -hmm. to make it easy for people to understand who he is, what he does and how he does it mm -hmm. in a way that you can tell from across a conference room at social media marketing world with, you know, 500 people in the room. Literally. Not many people wear blazers like that, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's not just a blazer. It's a full bespoke oh, yeah, suit. Yeah. Suit. yeah. Oh, my God. He, and the thing is, he's actually turned that suit. And what I'm describing is the fact that Jay Bear has a signature look. And that signature look I refer to in the book as a penchant, a penchant for plaid, because the dude cannot get enough plaids. And he's got <laughs> these suits that are incredibly interesting color palette combinations yeah. And consequently, when you walk down a hallway, like at, uh, as I said, at Social Media Marketing World, which will have 5,000 people there, you walk down the hallway, you're not going to see anybody, but you'll see him because yeah. he's like a Technicolor test pattern walking down the hallway. <laughs> but he's on that tightrope line between recognizable and packaged and gimmick. Yes. And yeah. he walks that tightrope so well, because again, there are other people at social media marketing world who are wearing, for lack of a better descriptor, clown costumes, practically. It's, it's the look at me, look at me, look at me stuff. And he, yeah, he's definitely saying, look at me, but it's more like, look at me because you know, I wear suits like this, mm -hmm. as opposed to look at me, I'm a car wreck. I'm trying to get noticed. Look at <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And so I write about Jay because he is visually packaging his personal brand in a way that not only makes it easy for people to identify him person to person, but creates what he talks about in his book, Talk Triggers. He creates a talk trigger about him mm -hmm. and his speaking services, because one of his main revenue streams for his business, his personal brand business, is speaking to groups ranging from, you know, Fortune 500 companies to associations to whatever. And he found out one interesting thing. People who a book events started talking not about him, not about the quality of his presentations or the topics he speaks about, but the fact that he comes with these incredible colored suits that are so fun, so exciting and add so much power and energy and excitement to an event 
that event directors are saying, oh, you got to book Jay because he, let me tell you about the suits he wears. Yep. So they're not talking about his content. They're talking about his visual packaging. And that's why I wanted to write about that in the book because everyone else would talk about Jay and they talk about his book, Talk Triggers, and they would talk about a lot of the stuff that he shares with people and all that stuff. And I'm like, yeah, 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 you can get that. But what you need to know about Jay from my curator's point of view is that he is one of the best packaged personal brands that I've ever run across. And we should all go to school on his example. One of the things that I will say is having had you in audiences at different events that I've done, as well as having you speak to my classes and being in audiences where you speak is one of the things that I think is really relevant for the book and anybody who's looking at the book is that you have a really good, really, really good ability to not only synthesize information and the kind of cliff notes it in a high value way, but also to recognize little nuggets that aren't there. So one of the questions I have for you, like regarding the book are like, what are some of the surprising nuggets like what you just talked about with Jay that you might not have necessarily thought about, but as you were looking for, but as the book started evolving and as you started revisiting the podcast and as you started doing interviews with people, you're like, wow, I didn't realize that's really interesting thing. So again, Jay typically is not known or people don't talk about him, I should say, with, with the suit and the, the visual way of standing out. But what are a couple of other nuggets that you were pleasantly surprised by or like, wow, I didn't notice that before it was there this whole time. And wow, that's cool from some from people who are well known or 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 anybody in the book. Well, that's interesting because when I set out to write the book, I had certain people in mind because they did great podcast episodes. They've got some really good stuff to share. But a lot of the ones I knew I was going to write about, I thought I was going to write about them about one thing and it ended up being about another. Because as I started thinking about why I find them so fascinating, so interesting, so thought leadery, if that's a word, was not based on necessarily what they were saying, but the way they were doing it. For example, by the way, people, this is how it works. You'll hear me talk about social media marketing world all the time because that is my number one go-to event that I pay personal coin to attend every single year because the first year I went, I'm like, this is a pretty costly event, but I'll check it out. And how did I meet people from Australia, New Zealand, and you name it? It's because I went to social media marketing world. So that was huge for me to broaden my horizons, my literal Geographic horizons were broadened by the people I could meet there. But this is also how it works. First day of last year, right before COVID shut down everything. I mean, I was nervous about even going out there because COVID was in the news, but things Mm -hmm. hadn't shut down yet. First day, I go out on this big, beautiful um, deck overlooking the San Diego Bay. and, And there are a ton of people attending the event that are just hanging around talking because things haven't really gotten started yet. And I saw a circular table with three people at it. I didn't know two of the people at that table, but I did know one. And one of the things I've learned is, in spite of the fact that normally I would wait for someone to say, hey, come on over here, is at this event, you have to come on in, wait for a pause, and then introduce yourself and engage. Because, you know, if you're spending those dollars, you better get value out of them. So I sit down, I say hi, you know, when I didn't interrupt the conversation, but waited. And I met two people I didn't know, one of whom was a realtor, a real estate professional from Vancouver, British Columbia. Okay, I don't know that many Canadians. 
They aren't all that different from Americans, but they are different from Americans. So I was really interested to tap her brain and ask her why, as a realtor, are you coming to an event that traditionally would be attended by marketing directors, social media coordinators and managers, you know, basically marketing professionals, maybe some academics, you know, in the field. Why is a realtor showing up here? And I'll be honest, part of what I wanted was I use realtors in my uh, presentations a lot as an example of people who aren't doing social when they should be. Oh, sure, sure. Well, she it turns out her name's Leah Bach and she's great. I love her. I've had her on the podcast. I can't tell you which episode. You'll have to look through the whole thing um, to figure out which episodes those were. But I knew I wanted to talk to her. And here's the thing. She was sick as a dog. She literally thought she had COVID. Oh. She didn't. But we talked for all of 10 minutes. We exchanged cards. I could tell that she was an interesting person, not a snake oil salesman or someone who was just fronting. You know, I, I look for the people who are people first rather than business cards. She was definitely a person first person. So I knew I wanted to talk to her. And so I got her on the podcast and we started talking. And my initial thought was, oh, we'll talk about everything about so what techniques are you using as a realtor and how does that work for you our conversation had a little bit of that but mostly it was about things like she took a stand-up comedy class as she was getting divorced because you know she wanted to feel good about herself she wanted to i don't know break the mold she was like yeah. forget about everything and i i discovered things about her and what she was doing that made me go oh wow yeah. Things like in, in the book, you'll be able to take a look and see the daily driver vehicle that she drives all around Vancouver. It's a slate gray smart car. You know those cars that look yeah. like clown cars? Yeah. It's a slate gray smart car with her logo on the side in a slightly lighter tone of gray. So here's this car that is literally screaming, don't look at me. And her logo <laughs> is screaming, don't look at me, which means, of course, you're going to look at it because it's so odd and unusual and kind of counterintuitive. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God, most realtors roll up in a white Lexus with yep. shoes that are absolutely inappropriate for a, a new home building site. Yep. and then prance around like some type of Prada catwalk model. And, <laughs> and that is not Leah Bach. And we started talking and I, I said, Leah, I, I just have to ask you, I mean, you are so non-traditional when it comes to real estate or traditional real estate marketing. Why is that? And she cited, and I love this, and you'll love this too, because you're old enough to remember it. She cited, you remember those cotton commercials, cotton, the fabric of your life? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, yeah, I totally remember those. She says, real estate is a very short but intense relationship. You know, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of heartache. You know, you list the five most uh, difficult things in your life and moving or buying or buying a new home and moving into it is one of the most stressful things you'll do in your life. If I can become the thread within the fabric of the lives of these people that makes their home buying home moving experience easier, mm. That's what I want. I don't want the transaction. I want to become part of their lives and to the point that people invite me over to birthday parties for their children. Mm. 
And I'm like, wait a minute, you're not one of those real estate hucksters that's all about trying to get the transaction, you know, show two homes, get the transaction, pick up a check for $25,000. Wow. And then we talk more about that. So I thought I was going to talk to her about how she uses Instagram, like what her posting schedule is or, you know, stuff like that. And it ends up being this deep, friendly, philosophical and personal conversation about the person that is Leah Bach. Mm-hmm. which is absolutely true to the personal brand that is Leah Bach. And if there's anything that I hope people get out of this book is that you already are a brand. All mm. you have to do is kind of focus on it a little bit and maybe put a little thought into how you package it. Mm-hmm. For example, when I say how do you package it, it's like the subjects I talk about publicly are limited compared to my interests. Sure. You know, obviously, anybody who's watching the live stream or knows anything about me knows the back wall behind me is covered with guitars. I'll talk about them a little bit, but I'll never play any music for you because, you know, I don't want to hurt your eardrums. (laughs) But it informs me who I am. Now, I look at Don's wall behind him, and he's got a couple of, is that Japanese characters on the wall? Yep. And yep. what look, looks to be a practice rattan samurai sword? Uh, it's actually uh, yeah, a, used in competition. And one of the, the kanji that are on the wall are all from samurai tradition. So you're spot on. So there you go. Don is demonstrating without saying a flippin' word who he is, what he does, and how he does it. Because his philosophy, and one of the things I love about meeting Don was that He turned me on to things like the Stoic philosophers. We've talked about this in the past. Marcus Aurelius, Seneca, Cicero, etc. And knowing that Don is a philosophical person makes me believe he's a deeper, calmer thinker about everything that he does. And therefore, he's valuable to me. And by the way, Don, hate to say it, that's why I included you in the book. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. And that but the, but I think one of the one of the insights that you just pulled out of there, you know, that that idea of having components of yourself to give visual cues or auditory cues or written cues, whatever they are, is is really one of the parts that I think people misunderstand with brands. So that's one of the things I wanted to ask you too is because of your background, you know, you and I understand the idea of brand in the way, because that can be so broadly defined. And then within that, there's different ways that different people define that. And sometimes we get people who hear the word brand and they hear the word packaging your brand and they're like, oh, you're being fake. You're making things up. You're showing yourself in a way that isn't real. So what I'm curious about is for people who might have twinges of that, and I know there's a lot of people who do, you know, could you give a little bit of definition and description for you and what you learned from the people in this book as well uh, as you interviewed them? But but what does that mean to you? Like if you're trying to sit down and somebody has that, oh, nails on a chalkboard reaction to the word brand or packaging, what are some things that, that you have to talk about that and help people understand your philosophy and your perspective on what brand is? Well, if anybody has that feeling, I totally get it. Because before I was a brander, I thought the same thing, which is, oh, this is all marketing designed to get you to buy things you don't need. Mm-hmm. And to that, at the time, I agreed. Yeah, that's exactly right, man. I love this band. They went, you know, they sold out. You know, this band that I love, they sold yeah. out because they got a label and all of a sudden they've got... No, the band did what bands want to do, which is play for the biggest audience possible. 
Now, you can make the argument that the band sold out their style if you love them because they're really, really hard, and all of a sudden they're churning out pop tunes. <laughs> you know, like the band Extreme. Remember Extreme? Mm. They were a hard rock band, and their biggest hit was more than words. La -da 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 -da. And every member of the band hated the fact that their biggest song was more than words. Another example would be the Go-Go's. Mm -hmm. Remember them? Oh, yeah. They hated the fact that their biggest hit was Walk Like an Egyptian. Oh, yeah. Because it was like, no, the, the band, the Go-Go's, considered themselves punk. They mm -hmm. considered themselves to be a punk band. And their biggest hit was a, a one-hit wonder bubblegum pop song that if you play it now at any wedding, the entire dance floor is going to fill up because everybody loves it so much. So the question really is about branding. And those two examples, Extreme had an idea of exactly who they were, what they did, and how they did it. And they violated it mm. by creating their biggest hit. The Go-Go's had a very clear idea of who they are, what they do, and how they do it. And they violated it because a producer said, I got this song that's going to be a top 40 hit. And all of a sudden they said, we don't want to be a punk band anymore. We want to be a top 40 hit band. Well, you know, they violated the prime directive of branding, which is always be consistently hewing to who you are, what you do, and how you do it. The other thing about branding, and one of the first things I wrote about in the book is branding, the original branding, comes from the fact that your brown cow looks exactly like my brown cow. Back in the days on the open range of Texas, and I don't know if people understand how cattle were grazed back then and still are in a lot of cases, the open range meant there's this vast territory and you put your cows out there, your steer, your cattle, and they go wherever they want to go and eat. And then the cowboys have to go out and bring them back in. But here's the thing, your brown cow looks exactly like my brown cow. How are we going to differentiate two things that are exactly alike? They came up with this thing called branding, which was you take an iron, you put it in the fire, and you put a distinct mark on the hide of that cow so you know it's yours. Mm. It was about differentiation. Mm -hmm. Branding still is about differentiation. And I talk about this example in the book. Picture, if you will, two four-wheel drive vehicle brands. One of them is doing a photo shoot for a magazine spread on the plains of the Serengeti in Tanzania, mm -hmm. Africa. The other four-wheel drive vehicle is doing a big glossy photo shoot outside Moab, Utah, right near Arches National Park, where you can see all the sandstone, beautiful topography and all that stuff. Which brand is which? Where would you put Jeep versus Land Rover? Mm-hmm. Already in your mind, you're saying, well, Jeep is the one near Utah and Land Rover's always got an elephant or a giraffe behind it. Yep. Why? Because Land Rover is African. Jeep is American. And by the way, people who live in the UK where they can get a Land Rover from someone who probably makes it are buying Jeeps because their personal brands are more aligned with American culture and brands and stuff like that. They're wearing Levi's jeans. They're drinking Starbucks coffee instead of, you know, tea or, or whatever. People align themselves to their brands. And for anyone who doesn't believe in branding, I'll say things like, okay, what do you drive? 
What computer do you use? What's on your wrist right now in terms of a timepiece? Or what jewelry do you wear? If someone came up to you with a bag that is that turquoise green of Tiffany and company, are you excited or are you sitting there going, well, you paid too much? <laughs> you're from the Midwest. You're probably saying that. <laughs> well, yeah. If, you, if you're a guy, you're saying you paid too much. Yeah, And sorry, don't mean to be sexist here, but in general, I don't get excited about that bag, but I know plenty of women in my life who would be like, oh my God, you, you spent too much. Which translates to, I can't believe you love me that much. This episode of the Nonfiction Brand Podcast is brought to you by my brand new book, Nonfiction Brand. Discover, craft, and communicate the completely true, completely you brand you already are. Now available on Amazon.com. Too many people for too many years have labored in obscurity. Why? Because that's the way it's always been. Work for someone else and remain nameless, letting others take credit for your hard work. But in today's hyper-connected everything is media world, that's all changed. In 19 in 1997, Tom Peters outlined the tenets of a new concept, personal branding. Fact is, if you're not actively branding yourself based on who you are, what you do, and how you do it, you are leaving opportunity on the table. But with this book and a little bit of work, that opportunity is 100% yours to own starting today. Christopher Wilshire, CEO of Egg Strategy said, this is the kind of book that changes how you view the rest of your career and how you go about amplifying your value to the wider world. To get your copy, head on over to amazon.com and search nonfiction brand and let's get you all the credit you deserve for the completely true, completely you brand you already are. One of the things that's interesting that, and I, and I um, think you might have told me this at one point, or I, I don't even remember exactly where I heard it from, is that if branding didn't matter, there would be no logos on any products, you yeah. know? And so thinking about that, one of the things that you said is that when we're putting ourselves out there, we're giving signals like if somebody sees a Nike swoosh on a piece of clothing or the Adidas or Puma logo or whatever. So what are some things that you've learned and like people could take away from this who are like, I'm a little bit skeptical still, but I'm going to read this book and I'm going to look for some nuggets because I'm open to listening and considering doing some things online or offline. Uh, like with Jay Bear and the the outfits to to help myself become more recognizable. What are some things in the book that you might want to share now that people can be looking for to say, hey, I can ease you into this idea? Because you, I was the same way as you. I do not come from a marketing background, and I was very anti marketing. So both of us have come around and seen that there are good components to it. So for somebody who might be in that, because I do think there's a lot of value teaching students in particular, but also in the workshops I do for my audience to get this book, absorb it, digest it and use it. But I'm curious, again, from from your perspective, what are some of those elements that are like little triggers that can start helping people move towards, hey, I'm going to try this. I'm going to give this a go and see what happens to see if I can create my own brand and do it in a way that I feel good about it rather than manipulative or disingenuous. Well, first of all, you got to get over imposter syndrome, that feeling that everybody knows more about what I do every single day than I do. And therefore, what value do I have in sharing anything? Imposter syndrome to me is a curse, but also a blessing. Because if it makes you think that the quality of your post isn't good enough and it causes you to dig deeper and search harder and find better examples or whatever, that's good. 
because that's keeping you truly professional. A professional doesn't go, I did it once, it was effective, therefore I'm going to tell everyone that's the only way to do it. A true professional is going to be, I did that once, it was pretty effective, I'm going to try other things and find out if there's something more effective, and then I'm going to report back on those things, maybe in a blog post or a video or something like that, and let you, the viewer, make the decision on which one is actually right. Because again, I'm not here to say there's only one way to do things. Mm -hmm. It's I'm leading you to think. The term thought leader means not single truth identifier. Uh. It means I'm getting you to think. And by the way, a good thought leader should say, you may take issue with some of the things I've said, because then we can have a true conversation and I can learn from you. Mm -hmm. So imposter syndrome get over it. But also the other part I talk about is a thing called expertise laryngitis. And this is what imposter syndrome leads to. If you've been in any job in any specific area of business or human endeavor, you have achieved a level of expertise that is above some people on this earth, but not necessarily as high as some other people on this earth. So You may not be the absolute number one person in your field, but let's say you're the number 50 person in your field. Guess what? Anything you can share has value to the number 51, 52, Mm -hmm. 53, all the way down to the person who's just starting a job in that field. Mm -hmm. An example, you're a graphic designer. You've got five years in the saddle doing nothing but website design. You've learned things in your five years about typography, especially in digital situations, that most people do not know, even other designers. Because just this past week, I was talking to someone who is a traditionally print designer, and every three sentences she says, well, you know, I haven't done a lot of design for video or digital, so, but my expertise in typography says this. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? Get rid of that first part and accept the fact that you can caveat. Now, this may be a little bit different in digital and video environments, but basic typography dictates that you don't have more than two font styles on any given device or page. Mm -hmm. That's still true. Absolutely. And you can learn by like, let's say you, you post out something about typography saying no more than two fonts on a page and ideally they you know complement each other if someone takes issue with that and pops into your comments saying well you know in certain cases you should do this fantastic because you've now created a conversation and you can carry that conversation with that person so what happens when that happens more and more people see your post Mm -hmm. because every algorithm is looking for one thing and that is engagement If people are engaging with your post, responding to it, and commenting, it's going to share it wider and wider and wider. And the thing about that comment, you may post it on a Monday. If it's still getting engagement on a Friday, it's still out there churning and earning for you. If you don't do that comment based on your hard-earned expertise and experience, you get nothing. Zero. That's the only guarantee. If you don't post, you get nothing. If, however, that post gets some attention, all of a sudden you start banking some pennies into your bank of personal brand 
that starts building your level of awareness in the marketplace. One of the examples I, I, I like to kind of reduce things to the absurd to really make the point. I always think about aluminum anodization. Okay. Do you know what aluminum anodization is? It's, Believe it or not. My, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. It, it's the coating of aluminum to preserve its finish, to make it stronger, da, 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 all that stuff. Well, in my reductio ad absurdum example, I always say there is someone in the world of aluminum anodization who is recognized as the number one authority on that. Yeah. To which I then ask the question, how did they become that? And the answer is they demonstrated their expertise, their knowledge, their experience, and their ability to curate other smart people to prove to you that they are the resource, the fountainhead of information about aluminum anodization. And notice the fact, if you don't know, that doesn't mean you can't be recognized as knowing because you bring in smart people who can inform you the entire time. If you are curating people who are better than you, does the audience make the distinction between them being fantastic and you being, eh, not so much? No, you're flying in a flock that's flying at a higher altitude than you may naturally feel you fly at. Absolutely. So, th so that would be number one, or number one and two. Recognize imposter syndrome for what it is, but don't let it stop you. And get rid of your expertise laryngitis. Even if you're a 20-year-old coming out of college, Hey, nonfiction branders, it's me, DP, again. I have to interrupt because, not surprisingly, whenever Don and I get together, the conversation just rolls and rolls and rolls. And so I'm stepping in arbitrarily to cut this episode off short. But don't worry, we continue it on in next week's episode. So be sure to check that out next week. For the Nonfiction Brand Podcast, I'm DP Knutin, and he was, is, Don Stanley, and we'll be talking at you again next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.